Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I feel like Ash Wednesday is a kind of New Year's Day. The night before is usually an opportunity to overindulge, which taken to an extreme, can turn into a Mardi Gras affair that we all know is, well, something I'm here to hear your confession about. On the other hand, if you stayed up to midnight in order to have a champagne, um, I mean bacon toast, then I'm completely with you. As you know, meat is only allowed on Sundays in Lent, and I'm sorry to inform you that, yes, bacon is meat. I know, I'm disappointed to hear that too. But just so we are clear, the fast is Monday through Saturday. It has two parts, abstinence from certain foods, and that part simply no flesh meat. That means no chicken, no beef, no pork, also no veal, no venison, no buffalo, no beaver, no opossum, or the juices thereof, which means no meat gravies or broths. Are you looking for the nearest exit yet? However, the good news may be is that fish and seafood are not Flesh meat, yes, I know it's a little bit confusing at times, but yes, fish and seafood are fine. Lobster dinner is fine, but don't go crazy. You can also eat dairy and eggs. The other part of fasting is the actual fasting, which is technically about restricting how much we eat, although we typically talk about our Friday fast. We're really only doing abstinence. And this this fasting part is... um, The ideal being one meal a day, sometime afternoon with a smaller meal, no more than about a quarter of your evening meal, sometime afternoon. Um, Fasting isn't, though, supposed to make your life entirely miserable or intolerable. And if you're diabetic or have other medical issues, it's definitely not designed to kill you. So if you have concerns, let's talk. Those concerns could be even as simple as, Father Ben, I've never done this before and I don't think I can do it. No problem. Starting small this year and growing into something more stringent is certainly natural and appropriate. And of course, if you have health issues that make it impossible, then we can work around anything. But let me be clear. You heard our gospel reading today, right? Jesus himself is clear. It isn't if you fast as Christians, it's when you fast. Straight from our Savior's mouth. Fasting is part of being a Christian. However, the one thing I do not want you to do, do not want you to do, please, under any circumstance, is decide yourself what you're going to do without any spiritual guidance. Because then I think you're missing the point. Now, I'm not saying you can't decide to do a little something extra without my input, like give up Facebook or chocolate for Lent. In addition to, and that's the key, in addition to what the church prescribes. But I don't want you substituting. Why? Because choosing what you do for Lent is the exact opposite of the point. I like to just that I plan to give up self-control for Lent every year. I hope that highlights the issue. When we decide what we're giving up for Lent, we are failing to learn one of the most important lessons of Lent. That is, to be obedient, to be subservient, to conform our wills, to take up a cross and bear that cross. And when we make up what we do, we're not merely being, we are merely being, we are merely being self-serving even if we're technically denying something we actually detest. 
or think is valuable to give up. Maybe you started Lent as a vegan. Hey, I'm glad to know you won't miss the bacon. But as an aside, NPR ran the story in 2011. And doesn't it make you cringe that that was 10 years ago? It made me cringe when I saw the date last, last night and realized, whoa. Anyway, a story that NPR ran in 2011 was about how bacon is the gateway drug for many vegetarians. Quote, recently an old friend who's been a vegetarian for more than 15 years shocked us with the story. Last weekend, she ate bacon. Several strips straight out of the frying pan where her boyfriend was cooking it. Now, this wasn't the first time she'd encountered it sizzling there in all its glistening glory, but for some reason this time it overpowered her. She was guilty yet gleeful when she told us that she'd allowed bacon back into her life. She's not alone. We've heard this story before from many people. It seems that bacon has a way of awakening carnivorous desires within even some of the preachiest of vegetarians, and we set out to find out why. Well, the answer, to spoil the punchline, spoiler alert here, you can close your ears and look this up on Google later if you wish, was, you know, a combination of evolutionary scent and social factors. So, again, if you're more curious about this article, Google it when you get home. Anyway, I love the closing of the article. Quote, sure, it's loaded with fat and salt, and Americans eat far more of it than what's good for the planet. But in the immortal words of Homer, Simpson, not the other one, mmm, bacon. Okay, I'm a bad priest. I've been starting your lint off badly so far now in my sermon by discussing bacon too much. So, so let me finish what I was trying to say. You got to do what the church prescribes. Not what you think is best, because doing what someone else tells you to do has no substitute. Even if you think it's easy for you or happen to like it. Just talk to my three-year-old daughter. Anyway, Ash Wednesday is also like New Year's Day, because it's often a time when we set resolutions. We set resolutions to be better people. Not the kind of people our dog thinks we are, but the kind of people our God thinks we should be. So in many ways, the resolutions we set on Ash Wednesday are way more important than the resolutions we set three and a half months ago. And admit it, do you even remember the resolutions you set back then? Are you still sticking to those? However, let's do our best to commit to our Ash Wednesday resolutions because those are the more important ones. Yes, the resolutions you set for yourself now are the resolutions that set and reset the tone of our life each year as Christians. When's a time to consecrate and reconsecrate aspects of our lives to the Lord? If we've taken one step back in our Christian lives, Lent is a time to take two steps forward. Lent provides an opportunity, an excellent opportunity, for taking those two steps forward. As usual, we'll collectively be pursuing our Archdiocesan Lenten charity, Food for Hungry People, now in its 47th year. And um, that's just one kind of charity or almsgiving that I want you to practice. That's the external, outwardly reaching type. And yes, it's important. But I want to be sure you give, those, give charity to those in your immediate sphere too. Your husband, your wife, your children, your best friend. Love them this Lent in a special way. Men, I want you to love your wives. Wash the dishes. Take out the garbage. Take them on a date. I know it's a little hard in a pandemic, but that's what makes it matter so much. Maybe you need to cook them dinner or order a special dinner for them. And women, I want you to submit yourselves to your husbands. Now, St. Paul, when he said this, wasn't saying that your husband gets to lord it over you. Look, what did I just say a second ago? Submission is good for all of us. But St. Paul is also clearly saying, and this is, his, this is the quote from him, now as the church submits to Christ, 
so also should wives submit. That means you should only submit if your husband is being Christ-like, and that means that he is giving you self-sacrificial love, even to death, as Christ gave to the church. And although much is misunderstood by our distorted modern sensibilities about that, the shocking part of what St. Paul said was not that women should submit to their husbands, but that men should love their wives. So remember that, boys. St. Paul was establishing, however, a clear and equitable balance. And whoever you are, you have an important role to play in your relationship. Each of you has a co-equal part in each and every one, a co-equal part in each and every one of your relationships. And Lent is a special opportunity to reestablish that balance in your lives. And for the single among you, work to establish that balance between submission and love within yourself. And even if you're married, do that. And your relationships with other folks. So I hope you begin to see the connection between submission and love in our discussion of Lent overall thus far. And that takes me to the last thing, prayer. Finally, I want to talk about prayer. How does prayer relate to submission and love? Prayer is actually both submission and love. When we pray, we submit, right? We admit that we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the solutions. We admit we can't go it all alone. That's pretty big submission. But prayer is also love. Through prayer, we interact in a loving way with our God who wants and always approaches us lovingly, closely, and personally. When we pray for others, we love them. Whenever you hear that Christianity is just like any other religion, well, that could only be true if they don't get this part of Christianity, that our loving, sacrificing God desires to enter into a personal relationship with you, me, each and every one of us. And yes, again, that means you. Whatever you've done, no matter who you are or what you're going to become, God loves you. I mean it. God loves you. But to feel the love, you got to carry your half of the relationship, right? So, that's the first half. And the other part is that when you pray for others, you show your love for others too. Then show God and your neighbor what you love. How? By giving it up in prayer. As that beautiful song by Passenger says, and no, I'm sorry, I can't replicate the accent. Well, you only need the light when it's burning low. Only miss the sun when it starts to snow. Only know you love her when you let her go. You only know you've been high when you're feeling low. Only hate the road when you're missing home. Only know you love her when you let her go, and you let her go. And my beloved brothers and sisters, that's Lent. Let her go. Christ most exquisitely loved his bride, the church, when on the cross he let her go. So journey with me, with us. We do this together. It's a collective fast. This Lent to Gethsemane, when Jesus, our God, let it all go. Join him. Join, join in that by letting it all go in your lives and give it up to Christ. And you'll know love, love with a capital L, when you do that. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.